so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. That's a great way to end it awkwardly, Mark, with a little chuckle at the end. The snot comment? Stack. She can't hear you. Oh, yeah. Snack. Yeah, the, and the little chuckle. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and I am so excited this week for the very first time is ERLC veteran Jill <laughs> Wagner. Hi, Lindsay. I'm so glad to have you. You know, as I always say when someone else is on the podcast, like Chelsea last week, uh, you are much nicer and much prettier than Brent Leatherwood. Thank you so so much. Thank you. It's such a treat to have you here. It's the girls taking over the ERLC. (laughs) I think that happened a few months ago. It did. did. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Well, we're so glad to have you. And just as listeners, so you know, the format's going to be a little bit different uh, with Brent not being here. Culture is, uh, you know, I can talk about it. It is not my forte to be able to interpret it. So I'm going to mention a few cultural cultural news stories with very little feedback. And then I'm going to interview Jill. Jill, we'll tell you a little bit more about her, but she is a pastor's wife. She has so much experience in ministry and in the work world, and she's got a lot of wisdom, even though she says she doesn't. So I just wanted her to share with y'all about some things, and I think you will learn greatly from her. So I'm very excited to have her on. Uh, But for now, we're going to talk about what's been happening at the ERLC this week. And the first piece that I wanted to highlight is by Elizabeth Bristow. She's our press secretary, and it's titled, What if a church leader confesses a problem with substance abuse? An interview about addiction and the hope of restoration. So leaders within the SBC have told us that substance abuse is a problem that is growing. It's occurring more and more often, and especially so after the pandemic. We see it highlighted We see people struggling. So we wanted to provide some resources. And that's why on our site and through our different channels, we're highlighting substance abuse this week. And this interview really gives help and hope to those who have encountered alcohol addiction uh, within their church and especially among leadership. And I would say as one who has encountered that addiction within my own family life, it gives help and hope there as well. So you have a chance to learn here from a pastor who has walked through this very scenario with someone on staff and just shares what he and his church have learned. Yes, this article was so rich, um, so full of practical, helpful tips for how to walk through this. Um, he, He acknowledges the uniqueness of every situation, but there's a lot of wisdom you can tell that he has earned. And I loved one of the things he pointed out early in the article was a view of substance abuse informed by the Bible does not reject the physiological or psychological factors at play since it affirms that we are embodied beings. 
The Bible insists that human behavior is complex, and these issues must also be viewed in light of our brokenness as moral creatures before God. I think that demonstrates just the fullness of his approach as well as um, the scriptural foundation through every step that he outlines here. So I think it's something that every ministry leader should take a look at, hopefully something they may not encounter in the future, but if they do, to give some wisdom to ground their behavior in. I think that's a great couple sentences to highlight and point out uh, because it is complex and we are holistic beings. And I I think it is something you're going to encounter at some point within your church with somebody in your church, given the statistics. Right. In that article, he pointed out when this happened to a pastor, it actually opened the door for many people to discuss their own struggles or struggles that were going on in their family. Um, So like all things, we see the Lord redeem a difficult situation and use it as a tool um, within their ministry to bring hope and restoration. That's so true. Jill, and something you've probably seen as a pastor's wife and through all of your years in church, and the Lord redeems the years that the locusts have eaten and, and stolen. Another point of redemption, an article that shows us how we can be involved in that is by Sam Rayner, and it's titled, How You Can Help the Overlooked Children Affected by Substance Abuse, Foster Care and the Church. So Sam is a pastor in Florida, and he points out in this article that children are the overlooked victims of substance abuse. Many have lost parents or have been separated from them because of addiction, And Sam calls the church to see the need to care for these children and step up to meet it. So, Jill, you actually acquired this article. Um, You want to tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. Sam and his family have really led the way, I believe, in this body of believers in Florida for demonstrating what it's like, even the hard parts of bringing a, a child into your family for the purpose of restoration for that family. And he's very honest in the way that he writes, but also so practical to acknowledging the way that foster care can serve your community, can serve vulnerable people, but also become a tool through which you reach out into your community and understand its struggles and needs and begin to build bridges in positive ways. So I'm really grateful for him and his family and their ministry there and for um, Sam to share. He shared with us before about some of the ways that their church ministers to their community that's been so impacted by Um, heroin, I believe, specifically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thankful that he wrote this for us this week. Yeah, we are really thankful. And it's always uh, refreshing and encouraging to see someone that is not only writing about something, talking about something theoretically, but is putting it into action. Absolutely. This is an area where it is incredibly hard to do that. But as he says, as this church has gotten involved in foster care, they become a safe place Mm -hmm. for the community. And so may the Lord bless his ministry, and increase his tribe, really. (laughs) And finally, we have an article by Champ Thornton. He is a channel editor for us in the Family and Parenting channel. And this is titled, Why Cohabitation Isn't Good Preparation for Marriage. So he is responding to a New York Times article that just gives some practical ways uh, that cohabitation really is not a good inroad to marriage. It's been normalized in our culture, even within many churches. It is very normalized and it is very common to see. And so we have to know how to address it and to speak the truth in love. And Champ helps us to start to think clearly about this issue. This article is not exhaustive. There are lots of things you could say about this. Mm -hmm. But it is a good start to the issue and to being able to address it. Yes, as a pastor's wife, this is something that has come up again and again um, to my husband, especially um, for people who are honestly pursuing marriage as their end goal. And I think this is a great resource for pastors 
just to kind of refresh yourself on uh, the scriptural admonitions as well as just practical ways to talk to people who you encounter. Uh, it's so interesting to contrast this with the previous article because the substance abuse issue can be so hidden um, where we have also seen the cohabitation just be not even a consideration um, for people that are in our churches at times. And so this is definitely something that pastors are dealing with, and we hope this is helpful to them. Well, maybe we'll be able to get your husband to write some kind of an article about it sometime. <laughs> We're always trying to get my yes, husband to write are. some kind of article. We are. <laughs> He's probably like, I've got enough on my plate. Leave me alone. <laughs> Um, you know, I always point out that we have got so many great articles on our site. I love that we are able to provide them for free. And so I'd encourage you to go and and check those out. But for now, Jill, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Moving into our culture section this week, I wanted to highlight two items that we could be aware of as Christians that we could be praying about. So the first is from Axios, and this is about the refugee situation coming out of Ukraine. We talked about it last week. So this headline is, from the UN, over 3.1 million refugees have fled Ukraine since Russian invasion began. This really stood out to me because last week when we addressed it, it was 2.3 million. Yes, So now it's already so much higher. This has jumped significantly. And within this article, or really it was like tidbits of information, one that stood out to me that I wanted to highlight was about the children. Mm -hmm. So Axios says more than 1.5 million children have fled Ukraine since February 24th, according to a UNICEF spokesperson, James Elder. That means that approximately 75 children a day have become refugees. And this is the other thing that stuck out to me. Every single minute, 55 children have fled their country. That is a Ukrainian child has become a refugee almost every single second mm. since the start of the war. Can you fathom that, that our children, that could be our children among those that have become refugees every single second? So it just, it breaks my heart. And on the heels of that, I wanted to share, and this is from CNN, President Zelensky addressed the U.S. Congress on Wednesday. And within that address, there was this video that he shared, if you're able to watch it. It's just heartbreaking, and it includes these children who have just been the victims of this illegal war, this illegal attack. It's terrible. I just wanted to highlight one of the things that President Zelensky highlighted was some of the terrible moments of our past, and he was using those to ask for our help. And this is what he said. Remember Pearl Harbor, terrible morning of December 7, 1941, when your sky was black from the planes attacking you. Just remember it. Remember September 11th, a terrible day in 2001 when evil tried to turn your cities, independent territories into battlefields, when innocent people were attacked, attacked from air just like nobody else expected it. You could not stop it. Our country experiences the same every day, right now at this moment, every night for three weeks now. And it's true. Imagine that, September 11th happening Every night every day. for three weeks. And I wanted to highlight this just to keep it in the forefront of our minds mm-hmm. and our hearts because in a 24-7 news cycle of social media connected world, it's easy to just move on from it and it just becomes commonplace. But it shouldn't be the case. And we should remember these children and these men and these women and the terror that they're living in and pray that the Lord would, in His mercy, bring it to an end Absolutely. quickly. Absolutely. Um, some women and I and our church— have been working through um, the Psalms, some of the first Psalms. And it has become a great guide for my prayers. You know, this is a group of women, and many of us have just been burdened by the situation in Ukraine. Like you said, there's so many things within our culture, social media or news, where we're seeing these images 
that that break our hearts and um, just remembering the Lord's care for the vulnerable, for the oppressed, um, and how He promises to protect those and rescue them. I would encourage you to look um, like Psalm 6 through 12. There's a lot there that can really help us to remember who God is, who He cares about, and to inform our prayers, especially when we're looking at these situations that are so massive and complex and even difficult to understand, ever-changing. Like you said, that's been something that we've been doing in my church uh, in response. That's such a good um, encouragement and such a good practical tip for us to know how to pray, to go to the Psalms. When we don't know what to pray, go to the Psalms. God gives us the words to pray. And the psalmist, David being one, we're in the midst of terrible situations. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord has not left us unequipped to be able to pray. So may the Lord help us. And Jill, it's because of you being able to share stuff like that, your wisdom (laughs) and your practical experience that I wanted to interview you for just a little bit on the podcast today. As I was mentioning, Jill is a pastor's wife, so she has walked through the last several years, especially the pandemic, the upheaval that has happened as a pastor's wife, knowing and being acquainted with intimately how the church has been affected. You've walked through seeing your church grapple with cultural and ethical issues. You've seen how your husband has dealt with this. And so— I wanted to be able to glean some of your wisdom to enable <laughs> to encourage the hearts of those who are listening so to this podcast. So Jill is also a content editor on staff. She is a PR, a public relations professional. So she assists with public relations on our staff. And she has seen the ERLC through various iterations of our That's ministry. Right. She right. has been here. She is a veteran. So we are just going to learn from her today. So Jill, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you and your husband serve in ministry? Sure. My name is Jill Wagoner. I serve as a content editor at the ERLC. I have been here almost 17 years. Which is crazy. Okay. You don't look much older than 17 yourself. Thank you so much. Keep going. Um, So 17 years, but my husband is Brant, and he serves as lead pastor at Fairview Church right outside Nashville. We're in Lebanon, Tennessee, and we've been there about four years. Um, Brant and I have been married, almost 14, served in ministry together um, for all of that time. And now we have three boys who are 10, 7, and 4. So we are busy, and it's so pretty sweet. wild at our house all those the boys time. With those, that blonde hair—they're cute. They're they real cute. cute. Um, yeah, but it's a lot of fun, and yeah, we stay pretty busy. Yes, you do. You stay so busy, and those boys are so cute. I loved getting your Christmas card picture. So you mentioned you stay busy, and you stay busy in very meaningful things, and you're engaged in ministry constantly. And in addition to ministering to your family, you are ministering to so many other people. You're involved in starting a pregnancy care center in your area. Yeah. So this is such an important ministry, especially in light of the Mississippi abortion case, the Dobbs case, that we will be hearing more about this summer. It's going to be ruled on by the Supreme Court. It may—it's a a once-in-a-generation case that may overturn the precedent set by Roe v. Wade— and then supported by Casey. So it may overturn abortion as the law of the land. So will you tell us how this process has worked as far as starting the Pregnancy Care Center? You know, what have been the joys and challenges 
And then what your advice would be to those who want to start a pregnancy sure. care center in the area. So they didn't know it. The listeners of the podcast didn't know it, but this podcast actually lasts like two days because this is a, <laughs> that first a question is a lot. story. Oh, okay. But I do love to tell this story because it's a story I've got at work in our community and it's been a privilege to be a part of it. So I think the first part of it, because anytime you are becoming active in your community, there's a lot of questions that you need to ask about your own time, right? So I'm, there's a lot of the story that's personal, but I think it's good to share. So when we moved in 2017, you know, a whole upheaval of our life, right? My husband's in a new role, a new community. We move in 2017. In 2018, I had that third baby, which kind of rocked my world. And at that time, I stepped back from some responsibilities here at work. And it was kind of a time where I felt untethered. I was searching for what God was doing in my life personally and where I should be serving. And I I don't think I've mentioned the fact that where we live now, Lebanon, is actually my hometown. And it's my parents' hometown. Like, we are sixth generation Mm -hmm. Wilson County. Um, Now my children are. And so— Brant even is the pastor of what was my home church. So this was a really unique moment. And to be honest with you, one I never saw coming, especially like as a young person thinking I was going to serve in ministry. I did not want to serve in Lebanon, Tennessee. I I did not think that's what it meant. I didn't Mm -hmm. even think I was going to be a pastor's wife. But here I was, pastor's wife, Lebanon, Tennessee, and just trying to discern what that meant for me in that moment. And of course, my family was the priority. But as we kind of inched out of that newborn infant kind of stage, first year of his life, I was searching and praying. A significant moment was actually an ERLC luncheon here uh, in our office, and Andrew Peterson was the speaker. I'm pretty sure he was quoting Michael Card, but he said, your community defines your calling. Mm -hmm. And that's become kind of just this mantra for me. It helps me in decision-making now, even back then. And so that began to shape the way I prayed and the way I thought about the opportunities that I had um, in front of me. Also, in 2019, Alabama passed a law similar to the Dobbs Law and was signed by their governor. It's been held up in the courts, but it basically banned abortion as well. And so that had risen to national news and um, was on my radar, And but it was also just on the radar of the families, the women in my community group. And um, Matt Hawkins, our mutual friend, Mm -hmm. was our community group, still is, my community group leader. And um, we, just our class, our Sunday morning class, entered into a conversation one day about Uh, about that law, about the cultural changes, but also led us to think about our community specifically. So the women impacted directly by that law, who would they be where we lived? What resources would be available to them? Where would they go? Um, We were thinking about uninsured women, specifically people facing at-risk and crisis pregnancies. So um, we didn't have answers, and that was kind of, you know, upsetting in one way that, that we really didn't have clear answers for that. We had some guesses, but also within that conversation, there were a lot of women who were similar life stage as me, where we had invested a lot of time and energy, I say like in the the past decade of my life, on um, raising children, on pregnancy care, on uh, infancy, on breastfeeding. Has that ever been said on the podcast? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, now it has. You might have to bleep it. Oh, no. no. I'm just uh, on, on bottles, on education, on, you know, all the things, sleep schedules. You're living it, Lindsay knows. Mm-hmm. And we saw that as a resource that we wanted to give back to God, that we wanted Him to steward. And we knew that it had been given to us, right? We all have those people who have helped us in those early days navigate the challenges. And our hearts kind of broke thinking that there were people 
that didn't have what we had had in sense of community um, as well as, as just knowledge. So it really was the women who who got um, motivated in that moment. Um, and we set out to to start learning what was available in our community as well as praying. And I, I want to say that this whole experience has been one of the most profound prayer experiences of my life. And I think our culture, we can just kind of say that and move on. But I have a prayer card where I wrote in 2019, like, Lord, we want to extend the PCC to Lebanon. And we are seeing today that come to reality. Like we're looking at properties and mm-hmm. and doors are about to open. And it's so rewarding to have that experience. And it's been so neat to pray with other people for that. So um, this is your recommendation for Paul Miller's The Praying Life. Yes, such a good book. That's so practical. Mm-hmm. It's so practical. Uh, and I think that it shaped me in that certain time, especially related to this this effort. So we began to pray, and then we began to go out in our community. This was pre-COVID. It was 2019. And we we visited places like our health department. We have a local Nashville area health clinic called Neighborhood Health. We we found other churches serving pregnant women. There were other ministries coming at this from different angles. Like we have a, a strong homeless ministry in my community. So they were aware and had helped pregnant women in times. But what we found is that there was a growing awareness for the need for a pregnancy care center in Lebanon. Lebanon is like a suburb of Nashville, but it's just a little further out, a little more rural. We didn't have the resources that Nashville has. And um, we also found people that had been praying, had been praying for years for this to take place. And so to see the Lord move among a diverse group of people was so exciting. And um, that's really how it got started. We ended up at the Pregnancy Care Center in Old Hickory, Tennessee. This is kind of the community next door, but distinct, different county. And we met there Lisa Cathcart, our executive director, who was fantastic. She was impressive from day one, and she has been at every point in the road just um, godly, wise, and prayerful. And I think that's a note to make, too. Like, when you find those people that are doing the work, the right work in the right way, that's who you partner up with. Mm -hmm. And Lisa told us they'd been praying about Lebanon. They'd been praying about our community and um, had hit some roadblocks a variety of ways. And so we inquired to learn more about what they did, but also we came asking, how can our church or how can we as individuals help? And there were things that, like, we couldn't do. In the daytime, I couldn't go volunteer for four hours, Right. But um, we had such a coalition by that point. There were things that we could do to get involved, and we hosted a prayer breakfast in our community and invited pastors to come. And between my having grown up there and Brant and his ministry since we had moved to town um, and just friendships and relationships we had built, we had about 20 churches there, and Lisa presented um, their work. Some of our churches did not know they existed and then talked about the vision for what we hope to do in Lebanon. So that was like this critical first step. And it's kind of evolved from there. Um, the Pregnancy Care Center held its big banquet this last fall in Lebanon and, and talked explicitly and publicly about these plans. And at this point, we've been able to raise the equivalent of like its first year of ministry. And so we're hoping to open up doors this summer. And I joined the board officially I think in January of this year, just to help continue to steward this forward. But um, it's been a really exciting and wonderful experience. It's amazing. Amazing because you dream of things like that happening and the Lord using you in that way, you know, but you just never know how it would all come together. And so it's just neat to see how 
the Lord in his in his timing used the prayers uh, and the heart cry of those people that had been longing for that for so long to yes he watered those planted the seeds and then has used y'all to bring that to fruition absolutely and and this is my takeaway in terms of prayer if you pray and ask God to help you serve vulnerable people if you offer what you have to him to do something with even when you don't know how I think probably especially when you don't know how he will answer those prayers now it wasn't immediate, and it wasn't super clear, right, at day one. It took discernment. It took time. Um, it took other people being involved. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-person type of thing. And I've, I've learned so much along the way just about the work of ministries, about um, how churches can partner together in a community, about God's kingdom and the diversity and, and how we need that diversity, I think, to serve a community faithfully. Um, it's been just eye-opening and challenging in in ways as we've gone on the journey. Well, speaking of eye-opening and challenging, we're going to move into talking about the last two years in the life of the church. Sure, sure. In the life of everybody, and that would be the years of COVID. And it has been a challenge that none of us, I think, ever saw coming. Oh, sure. We could have never thought that something like that would happen. So, in your experience, how has your church changed over the last two challenging years of COVID? What have been some of the great challenges as a as a pastor's wife? We probably have pastor's wives uh, listening. And what would your encouragement be to other church leaders who find themselves in a ministry context that they just never dreamt of? Sure, sure. I think in many ways, we're still processing the answer to, to some of those yes. questions. I wouldn't look back and see changes, but I do look back and see the challenges. I think our experience is probably common to many pastors, pastors' wives, ministry leaders, of the struggle, the emotions. You know, we had those different iterations where we had to adapt and go digital in a way we had never done. Mm -hmm. Um, We went through the reopening decisions. We went through helping people to feel comfortable in a community with diverse opinions and a body even with different opinions about what was the right way to to do it. I hope we don't have to do it again, but we did it. <laughs> you know, there were days where you felt like you were keeping the wheels on, and that's passed. And, and we we praise the Lord that we are here, right? We're, we've made it this far. And um, I think I feel the changes now coming I had someone in my Wednesday night group last night who has not been to church in two years. And there was even a sense of just, you know, anxiety, you know, think about that experience. You haven't, you haven't been put yourself in those contexts yet, but they were beginning to feel safe and comfortable. So they're coming back to the church. Um, they're coming back to our programs, you know, on campus types of things that they have not done in a long time. Lebanon also is experiencing a ton of growth. So we're having families moving from lots of different places that are coming to church for the first time. So I feel a new season opening up, and it's a positive one. It's exciting. People are hungry for community. They're grateful for the little things. Someone told me last night she was so grateful to walk in the door and someone to say, hey, Amy, you know, and and welcome her by name. And you realize that was something we all took for granted before COVID and and that we are made to experience, especially in the church. So um, we also have the opportunity now to implement some of the, the vision and mission that just we felt like we had hit pause on. So that's exciting as well. It really is an exciting time in the life of the church now because I the churches, some of the churches that I've seen, there have been 
there's been a ton of growth. And it may just be unique to our area. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure there are other churches out there in different areas that are struggling post-COVID, but there just seems to be so many people flocking to the church because of them realizing that they need community. Now, there are people who have not come back to the church, you know. Sure. But I think, too, that we've learned in the midst of COVID, too, that we've learned how to, or not necessarily how to, but that we need to be loving people within the church that have differences. We have differences of opinions and strong opinions. So I think we've seen holes in how we love, how we Mm -hmm. fail to love, and how we could be more like and how we need to be more like Christ in how we love and care for one another. That's wonderful. Absolutely. And people are longing, longing for it, right? We all need grace. We we, we are coming back into relationships in different ways. And um, just to kind of do that with open hands and open hearts as we we build those things back, I, th- I think that is a, an accurate assessment. And our, our area is growing like crazy. And so that has challenges um, and we'll change cultures of places, small town Tennessee, Lebanon is changing, and we're seeing that in some different ways, but um, that's okay. You know, that's that's God's will for the place where we are, and in many ways, He's bringing people to us. And so um, we feel a sense of responsibility and stewardship for that as well. Well, on this podcast, you know, we talk about cultural issues, and that's what we address here at the ERLC, helping people to think biblically about moral, ethical, cultural issues. And you talked about your heart for vulnerable women and children Mm -hmm. and the Alabama law that was passed in in 2019 and Dobbs coming up and, and all of this. We talked about Ukraine at the beginning. How do you develop and how how do you and your husband help your church develop a care about co- these cultural issues and how do you help them engage with these issues for the sake of Christ sure um the language of issues is very familiar to me because of how we use it here mm-hmm. at work and and it's purposeful and useful um in that way but when i'm thinking through the lens of our ministry in the church Issues are people, right? Mm-hmm. They represent a person's life, a person's struggle, a person's experience, um, their history. And so uh, my husband has done a great job of focusing our church on understanding that that we are on mission to reach our neighbors. Our, let's, I hope I get it right. Our mission is to reach our neighbors with the full surrender. No, true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. Okay? There you go, Brand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> One of the first things that I think about is um, you can't lead people where you haven't been, right? The parenting mantra. Mm -hmm. So is my life in full surrender to Christ? (laughs) That's a daily question, Mm -hmm. right? So that shaped one of those things. But also the person of Christ, I think, has been a great guide for Brent and I the last two years as we've dealt with the variety of topics that have come up to (laughs) pastors. Mm -hmm. and because there are a lot of different people saying a lot of different things about what is right and what is good and what we should be doing in these moments, I think we always go back to the person of Christ. You know, He is the perfect representation of God and His character, and that has been just the way we've talked, the way we've thought. Um, and Christ loved people. He loved messy, broken, ostracized people, and I think Right along with that is the centrality of the scriptures, of saying the things plainly um, from the pulpit when scripture dictates us to do so, 
despite the fact that that may not be the culturally accepted thing in the moment. And that has meant different things at different times. And and my husband has has dealt with some private conversations after the fact, but that's the life of a minister. You know, I think a lot about the young person I was in Lebanon and what did I think it meant to to follow Christ in ministry. Um, But I think the people of Christ are afflicted. They do deal with conflict Mm -hmm. regularly. Um, It's conflict that comes from within and without. Mm -hmm. And the Lord can sustain us. And so I think you asked me earlier about encouragement that I would give to church leaders, and and I didn't answer that question, but uh, don't quit. That's there's a there's a whole another story, another podcast about the Lord saying that to my husband and I in a difficult season. And so that's that's the word I would give. I have clung to Romans five that um, suffering produces character, character endurance, and at the end of that is hope, which is like so unexpected to me. And I have determined to stay on the roller coaster until we get to the hope. And just to claim that, that promise. And and we've experienced that in ways. I can say that. Um, but other days you feel like it's still out there Where's that? Yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. Um, and so Psalm 27, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In First Peter 5, that he himself will restore, confirm, and establish you. Like the Lord is near. He, he sees what might feel like an experience that no one else is going through. And um, He is there with you, and He will comfort you and restore you and give you strength for exactly what it is that you're dealing with. And that's that's the promises that we've clung to over the last two years and, and believe the Lord's Word to be faithful and true. And it's a hope that will not disappoint. That's right. All other hope will let us it's down. Yeah, yeah, it will let us down, sinking sand. But like you said, it, it's a hope that is worth clinging to because Christ will not disappoint us. Jill, I loved all of that, and it's an encouragement to me, even just in other areas of life. So I said it before, and I'll say it again. You have lots of wisdom to share, and I'm so thankful that you did on the podcast today. We haven't done an interview like this in a while, and so I I love it because I love learning <laughs> from other people. And so thank you for using what the Lord has done in your life to share with us. And I think maybe we'll have to have you on to talk about that other story. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, we'll bring Brandon for yeah. that one. And you might need your tissues. Oh. It might cause you to tear up a little <laughs> bit. So You're very kind and generous with your words. You are a precious friend, and I'm very happy to be here Well, talking I'm, with you. I'm so thankful to be your friend and so glad that you joined us. And for now, that's your look at This Week in Culture. And now it's time for the lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. So I will go first, and then because mine is less redeemable than yours is, Jill, because I know what it's going to be. So this should be a part of the culture section, too. But March Madness, how could I forget? March oh, Madness starts today. How can Lindsay and I forget March yes, Madness? We're how so we, invested we're and involved so knowledgeable. in basketball. And I'm sure that we could give, like, the science behind the picks and all that. So <laughs> I just finished up my picks real quick here. She literally just <laughs> yeah. hit submit before just she started submit. talking. So, But that's how you win the brackets. I think so. You just randomly pick. All my children have, have done their brackets, the four-year-old. We would go through and we'd say, okay, Villanova or San Diego State. And he would like merge the two words together. Oh, so he like Villio Diego State. It was it was very cute. It was very cute. I love it. Well, we I actually won one year 
here at the ERLC. And speaking of, Rachel Wiles, one of our colleagues, she's won several she's times and she's actually just, champ. we can see her now she through the window She also is here. a Malaysian basketball star and we'll just leave that out there. She's a Malaysian basketball star? You haven't heard this story? I have not. So okay. we're going to have to... Can I tell it? Of course. Okay. So I'm, Rachel, she's probably not going to appreciate she's this. She's going to love it. I, Rachel is my BFF sister. We both started working here 17 years ago, two weeks apart. Okay, but we both went to Union University, and Rachel went on a mission trip to Malaysia. I think it was in the summertime, and they did some sports clinics, and somehow there was a miscommunication in the preparation for the trip, and they were just, you know, conglomeration of students who'd signed up to do a trip, but it was understood that they were the union basketball team, women's mm-hmm. basketball team. So they had made different tournaments for them to play in. And so they just did. So Rachel, who is not a basketball player, it'd be like me that and Lindsay. Tall. She's very tall. Me and Lindsay, we would right. be just the same right. in this scenario, played in basketball tournaments on, on behalf of union. Um, that is hilarious. Isn't, isn't it great? She oh, man, it tickles Malaysian. me. That is what her March Madness screen name should be. It is. Malaysian she Basketball. Did. That's she exactly did? what she did. Okay, I haven't seen it. You I gotta go look. look. Okay, I've got to go look. So, yes, March Madness, all the fun. I I don't necessarily love basketball, although I came to love it more when I lived in Kentucky because that's, that's right. basketball. But I do love when it comes down to the crunch in March Madness, and there's just so many exciting games, and you've got the, the, the personal stories behind it, and... You know, oh, we, yeah. you, you have the parties where you get together and have food and watch. So I'm North really Carolina, just that was our inter- real introduction. Yes, of March Madness. It was crazy. Yep. Same as Kentucky. Yes, so. and I will take this opportunity to say the Lebanon High School basketball team is in the state championship, not championship game. We're like one game away okay. right now. So that's what I'm into that. My yeah. cousin Jim's the coach for the boys. Of course. But I know, small of town. Of course. You it, know so we're so pumped. I just got the notice that my kids can get out of school for excuse to go that's to the game awesome. Friday. That's so. so fun. I love that. I love it. It's like six degrees of separation, not with Kevin Bacon, but with Jill Wagner when you live here in Nashville, Tennessee. In Wilson County. Only <laughs> yeah. Wilson County. No, 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 no. Extends beyond that. But uh, So, Jill, what are you going to tell us about here in the lunchroom? Okay. Well, this is kind of funny probably to any of my friends or, or people I go to church with because I talk about it all the time. I'm an evangelist for the Daily Audio Bible. I love it. Uh-huh. So it is a podcast or an app you can or website you can do. And that's how I listen to my Bible. And this is probably the fourth year I've done it. I'm very attached to the reader. His name's Brian. J- my husband, Justin, and his mom love the Daily they Audio do? Bible. For Christmas, he got the Daily Audio Bible. Photo book? Photo book. Oh, my yes, gosh. Because he's also a photographer. Yes. So, yeah. Isn't I didn't know this. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. He he lives in Spring Hill. He lives right here. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I, I've done it for a number of years. In this season of life, it's what keeps me consistent in the scriptures. And Brian does a great job of just kind of he, he's theatrical in a way. So mm-hmm. you just really stay engaged. And I share it with all my friends. So do you listen to it on normal speed or like one and a half? One point. It's one one and one fourth. Okay, just a touch. Okay. Just nice. a touch. I can't do any faster than that. I can't yeah, understand. You can't. My brain can't okay. process. And is it? Do you listen to it generally? Like, are you're in the car, or you're walking around the house, or all of the above? Okay. And um, this time of year, I really love to walk and listen mm-hmm. to it. That's good for your brain mm-hmm. to, to process things, but also just to get outside. And um, but I do a lot of driving. I'm an Uber driver in the afternoons with my children. That's what I like to say. <laughs> an getting, unpaid Uber driver. <laughs> to get them to practices and pickups. And so sometimes I just listen. Then um, my kids like know what that is. They they want to listen to their stuff. They're like, are you listening to your Bible? You know, because they want to listen to uh-huh. Slugs and Bugs or watch Batman. 
on the TV, but I love it. Yeah. That's so fun. Well, I'm going to, I haven't tried it. I may have tried to listen to it once or twice, but I need to try it because Justin loves it. We have one, a book that the guy wrote on our shelf. And so, and then his mom just loves it. That's how she listens to Mm -hmm. her Bible too. And so she's attached to Brian or whoever it is. So that's, he's he's great. So funny. I'm going to have to try this out for sure. So, uh, yeah. So this is, Evangelist Jill's (laughs) call for all of y'all to download the daily audio Bible. There are many wonderful audio Bibles out there, um, but but this one is at the top, particularly attached. This one is at the top. Daily audio Bible. Yes. So I'm going to have to try it out. And I told you that yours was more redeemable than mine. Sorry. I mean, March Madness is great. Oh, I love it too. But it's not necessarily going to help you grow spiritually. It'll help you grow physically because you eat all the snacks during March Madness. But (laughs) but um. I hope y'all will choose spiritual growth over physical growth after this lunchroom. (laughs) Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And in addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy decisions that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content.